Hey, hey, lovebirds. Welcome to the For Richer or Poorer podcast. This is Jake. And I'm Jane. And we are going to dive in today. We have a very special guest, my mother. Woo! <laughs> so my mother is a very intimidating, very loving, fun, and awesome person. That and reaction I- <laughs> to her, you saying that she is intimidating was a, huh? Excuse me? I only say intimidating because that's what all my friends say when they describe my mother. That and then is they, true. That they, yeah. And then they realize that she's really just hilarious and she's going to speak her mind. And that's why she's intimidating because yeah. you won't find very many people these days. They're just going to set you straight. Say what? And say the awkward thing. So... Uh, we are very excited to have you here today, Mom. Yes. Head scared, right? <laughs> Thank you for not only having us, but having us in your home, because that is where we're doing this. So, a little bit about our family. I'll just give you the teaser, and then I'll let her go into the details. But, to put it this way, one of my mom's friends recommended to her one time that we needed to write a movie script, uh, because our life was just so crazy and had so many twists and turns, Um, but if we did, it would probably be X-rated, and so none of our church friends would be able to watch it. Yikes. So today we're not going to go into the X-rated parts. We're going to go into everything else. So, Mama Bear, tell us your story. My story. I grew up in a home that finances were not always easy. They sometimes were (laughs) tight. But my mother and father always made us feel like we had everything and that we were never in need of anything. We always had everything we ever desired. I don't remember ever, ever not having everything. And yet my mother would tell stories about how I didn't have a coat or I didn't have this. And she made it work, you know, this way or that way. And when I got married, I married a man who grew up in a fairly poor family. He didn't have much in the way of clothes or toys or anything. He learned to work hard, but he also grew up with one parent who was very concerned with what everybody thought of them and how people perceived them, which is not something that I ever really cared about. It wasn't something that was strong in my family. So in my first marriage, we had a situation where one of us cared what everybody thought about them or what they perceived of them and then the other one was more into helping and doing others which quite often between the two of us it caused a lot of financial problems you know there would be spending for getting the new big this or the new big that or there would be spending because I know so-and-so and so-and-so that are in dire need and they can't even afford their prescription medicine and we we would help and oftentimes you know things were put on credit cards and debt kept accumulating and you know the kids need this or the kids need that we tried for a while of making the kids you know realize that like for their their school clothes I would give them an x amount at the beginning of every school year to go and buy school clothes And that's all there was, and they had to make it work. And it was interesting to see how each one of the children dealt with their amount of money that they had for school clothes. Some did great, some didn't do so great. Who would those some be? 
Jane did great. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it required hours and hours and hours of shopping. <laughs> and we would go from one end of the mall to the other to find the perfect sale or the perfect item that she had put on hold. And she so, was pretty good about going back and telling them she didn't want that item anymore if she didn't want it. Here's what I do. I would go into a store, find something I liked, take a mental note of how much it was, go to the next store. Did I find something similar? Was it cheaper? And I would go to every single store and then at the end, we would go back and buy what I actually wanted. And you say you don't have patience. How do you do that and think you don't have patience? I like my money. There we go. I don't, I don't she like has waiting. a vision. She has a vision and she knows what she wants. And she knew how to fulfill that vision. And consequently, my mother will not go shopping with me anymore. I hate shopping. <laughs> hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Okay, so... You guys had maybe competing priorities, mm -hmm. and that created a lot of financial stress and emotional stress, but you also tried to teach good financial habits to us kids. I did. When you guys hit 13, I, I took you to the bank, and we opened up a checking account, and we would fight the bank um, upper management every time we went to open one. It wasn't as bad with the first child, but by the time we got down to Jane, it was a battle because they didn't want them to open up a checking account. They only wanted them to open up a savings account. I wanted a checking account so they could learn how to balance a checking ac account before they got out on their own. I wanted them to understand that money could come in and out. Well, a savings account you can't take money in and out of. I needed them to learn how to live on a budget with their money that they have. money doesn't just come out of an ATM? It does not come out of an ATM, and it Where? doesn't grow on trees either, sadly. <laughs> and you can't just write a check if there's not money in there. So those kinds of things I wanted you to learn. So walk me through really quick. Yes, got a bank account at 13, but also when I was 8, you and Dad got divorced, and before that divorce, you filed for bankruptcy. Yes. The bankruptcy, it was, a, it was a tough time. That was where at one point in time, just before our divorce and our bankruptcy, I had contacted every creditor we had and had told them the situation, and 99% of them were willing to lower interest rates, drop you know, lower payments, stretch it out, whatever they could do to work with us so that we did not have to file bankruptcy. But... Um, Christmas of that year, Melvin had four heart attacks and a stroke in a matter of three days. And the heart specialist said, do not let him make any major life changes because he will be struggling with this for at least a year. But sometimes you can't stop people. And he filed for bankruptcy. And the next day we went and filed for divorce. And then I waited for yeah. him to decide what was going to happen in life. So I think there's two major takeaways that I take from this is that one, bankruptcy doesn't always have to be the option. No. That a lot of people feel very stuck in their situation. They feel very overwhelmed and like there isn't a way to get out and to move forward with their life. Um, when a lot of the time our creditors are willing to work with us, um, but it requires some personal sacrifices. It does. And you have to suck it up and become humble and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that open communication in a relationship is absolutely paramount. Oh, yeah. Uh, we All of season one of this podcast, more or less, is dedicated to creating and establishing good communication habits with your spouse so that 
these bigger heartaches can be avoided. Okay, so timeline, filed for bankruptcy, filed for divorce, then what happened? I went to school full-time so I could figure out how to um, work to earn a living for my children because I'd been a stay-at-home mom. I hadn't ever really had to work. I, I worked a little bit at the school because they asked me to come and and work at the school because I had so many children there that I practically <laughs> lived there anyway, so I may as well get paid for living there. But I went to school full time. My mother and father were heaven sent and helped me out, taking care of kids and running kids places they needed to go and to things they needed to do because through all of this, I didn't want their life to change too much because it wasn't their fault that there was not a two-parent family anymore. So once I graduated from school, I found a job. and You also found a husband? Well, I was working <laughs> with for that a while job. before I found, before the good Lord dropped that husband in my lap. <laughs> and... We, you know, we still had debt from his marriage and debt I had accumulated from college and debt I had accumulated from, you know, being single and working and it's taken a while to get that paid off and then we accumulated more and we got so, that done. And I mean, it's pretty much like been a roller coaster. <laughs> it has been. A lot of debt. Hey, I have no debt. Oh, I have more debt. Oh, we got out of debt. So just because we are on a debt-free journey or we go to extreme measures to get rid of that debt doesn't actually mean that your personal habits have changed. Um, no, they hadn't until recently. <laughs> but, you know, third time's a charm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I have finally, this year, I decided that come hell or high water, I was going to be out of debt by the end of the year. And it hasn't quite gotten there, and it's not going to quite get there, but I'm pretty dang close. Yeah. Heck yeah. I feel like I kind of know the answer to this, but for everyone else, what tactics do you use to really stay positive in this roller coaster that you're, you're on? I think my biggest tactic is just wanting to be debt-free yeah. so that when I die... My kids don't have to deal with my mess. Thank you. <laughs> that is huge for me. I want to leave them something, even if it's a little something, so that they don't have to say, dang, Mom, you really screwed us over. Mm. So I think that's my biggest tactic is what I'm going to leave behind. Yeah. Establishing a why. Yeah. You know, why do I want to do this? And changing the family tree. You don't have to be in your 30s to change your family tree. You no. can be, how old are you? I'm still 59. <laughs> <laughs> You're turning 60. I'm turning 60. All right, ladies and gentlemen, quick. she will be 60 by the time this airs. <laughs> so you can be in your 60s and still change your family tree. Boom. <laughs> So, tricks. We kind of talked about tactics, tricks. Are there any tricks to stay flexible through trying to, to stay debt-free or get out of debt? Yes. I've had to be real flexible this year with COVID because yeah. we've had to stay home, so we've needed projects at home instead of things that we can go out and do. Yeah. So, when everyone else was going, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this with our stimulus check, 
We built a playhouse. <laughs> I should have taken that money and paid on a credit card <laughs> or paid on my house, but we built a playhouse for our granddaughters, and I'm glad we did. It's cute, and it's adorable, and they have fun in it. They absolutely love it. It is wonderful watching them in it. And then I decided for part of COVID, I was going to take my stash of material, which is not quite as big as a Joann's fabric store, but bigger than a Walmart fabric store. And I decided I was going to back up and all those people that I had promised quilts to as wedding gifts, and I was going to get them done. <laughs> and so I have been working on that. And my sweet husband decided he needed a project while I was working on quilts. And so he has built a dollhouse, this beautiful three-story Victorian dollhouse for the same said grandchildren that come to the house to play. And it stays here time. at our house. Yes. But that's those those are money, you know, quilt batting and the the backs and those kinds of things and you know, materials are for the dollhouse and the playhouse. <laughs> those are things that we could have taken and paid on something. However, we have to live too. Yeah. We still have to survive and we have to live. So at some point we finally go, okay, well, this is this is all that's going to get done on this now because we're not putting any more money into it. Yeah. You know, it's going to have to wait. We're going to have to save. One of the other things I did when James and I got married was in order to maintain house budget and house money and bills money, that kind of stuff, we agreed that if we, you know, if grandma down the street calls and asks him to come and put in a new toilet for her and he gets paid $20 for it. He gets 10% of that money to do whatever he wants with it. The rest goes towards a bill. You know, so we pay 10% in tithing to our church. He gets 10% that he's not accountable for. And he's really good about saving his money and using it, you know, for like said dollhouse, fun toys. Fun toys. Mm. Um, there has been times when he has, you know, we've had a car repair that needed and he had the money. And so it has gone into to bills for car repairs or whatever, you know, might be needed at the house. Yeah. But we've gotten things paid down enough now that it's not quite as tight. And so we can do a, a few little fun things, but we've still kind of set a, you know, top out. This is all we're going to put into it right now uncontrolled top you know and then after that it's going to have to wait till we have some more saved up so i have two different questions um and hopefully i'll remember the second one once we're done with the first but a lot of people i feel when they're getting serious about paying off debt justify wants as being needs there's a huge what, difference what is the balance between justifying every want as a need and living your life because there's a difference between justifying everything and still having those enjoyment purchases does that make sense I, it makes sense but i'm not sure i'm the one i think everybody would probably be different we we enjoy life we enjoy doing things for other people and helping others out and for us that fulfills a need we need to be able to doing things for other people we want to do things for other people but we don't necessarily, which is one issue I used to have with my first husband, is I needed to help other people. And so quite often I would put it on the credit card to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. But James and I work together well enough that it's I don't have to do that because I have a partner that will help me with it. 
and we can do it together. And he is amazing at thinking outside of the box and taking something, you know, that we, we might have had, you know, from one place, taking something and using it for another place. Yeah. And so it doesn't cost as much or, you know, saves the other person money or saves us time and money or, you know, but he's really good about thinking outside the box and figuring out a way to do things that don't cost but anything but our time. So my second question, um, when staying flexible, you guys are amazing at uh, having a side hustle <laughs> the best side that hustle. never stops. Yeah. Um, and that really gives you a leg up in being able to pay off debt. Absolutely. And I know that you have done a project, anticipated a certain income from it, and you're really excited to pay off a credit card or two cards, <laughs> whatever it is. And then the car breaks down. <laughs> Yeah, well, that doesn't happen. Then. <laughs> How do you stay positive and flexible? Yeah. When karma, not karma, when oh. um, what's the word? Murphy um, when, steps in. Yeah. yeah Murphy, when Murphy comes in. I have had a motto for years and years and years. You can either laugh or you can cry, and laughing is a whole lot easier, and it's a whole lot better on your morale. And just recently, I had, I in my mind, I had paid you know, half of a balance off. And then I realized a month later when I went to pay the other half off and I got the bill, I was like, what the heck? I know I paid this. Where, why is it so high? And then I remembered, oh yeah, I needed to have some repair work done on my truck. So instead of paying that, I had put it in an account sitting there waiting to, to get the truck fixed. So, you know, oh, well, it's not paid off. It will be next month now instead of this month. It happens. I I think some people are God-given the gift to be able to stay flexible yeah. and where some people are not. James is James doesn't even care. He doesn't want to know anything about the bills. Just take <laughs> care of them. <laughs> you know, take care of them. Our needs are, are taken care of, you know, and some of our wants. Just you take care of it. He's busy. He has, you know, kind of a demanding job at work, and it's just not a hassle he wants to do, and, and I'm home. You know, I have a job that I do in the morning, but I have all afternoon I can do what I want. And with my first marriage, it was not that way. And so it was very, very stressful and very, I mean, finances was just a bad thing in my first marriage all the way around, just because we were so very different in how we thought. But I, I think it's just flexible is, I have a plan, it's in my head. I don't have it written down anywhere, but it's in my head and I can float with, okay, well this little, you know, we gotta, this was kicked in here and it, it's not what I wanted, but that's okay. I can still make this work. It's just gonna take a little bit longer. I think it's mind over matter. You have to mentally be prepared for the fact that some crap is going to step into your plan and you have to figure out how you're going to deal with it. All right. So looking at your God-given gift as being flexible and being able to go through those, those different challenges, how do you help your spouse do that same thing? With my first husband, I used to pull out all the bills and would lay them out. I would pull out paper that had our income on it and I would pull out and say okay this bill comes out of this paycheck and this one comes out of this one and this one comes out of this and I would just lay it all out on the line and show him everything 
And I would get so frustrated when he'd say, okay, but where is this spending money and this spending money and this spending money? Well, you know what? It's not there now because we've, we've way over. And I think you can just, I would just explain it and explain it and explain it. At which some point he would say, well, you're not doing it right. He would take back over. And that only lasted a month or two until all the, you know, collection agency calls would start coming. And he would say, I just don't have time for this. Here, you've got to do it. So maybe not the best way to do it that Not way. the best way. <laughs> not the best way. But I think marriage number two has been totally different because, you know, we can sit down and talk about bills and finances. We don't always because he just trusts me with it. He trusts me to take care of it. But one of the biggest helps that I've had, and it was towards the end of last year that Jane first talked to me about it and said, Mom, look at this, because I had told her my desire to get totally out of debt this year. And then I want to get my house totally paid off in the next, you know, couple, three years. So in five years, I would be 100% totally out of debt, have nothing but normal monthly bills. And she said, Mom, go into PowerPay and look at PowerPay. Well, I'm a technotard. I don't know how to work technology, but I could figure out how to go in and put everything in there. And it told me, you know, what it suggested I should pay off first. And I understood the principle of it. I don't know how to go back in and update it so that it tells me, yeah, you're doing a good job. Keep this up. But I do know, I do know which order I was supposed to do it in. And that helped a lot. Looks like I'm slacking as a daughter. <laughs> Come on, Jeez. You're not slacking as a daughter, but you've got a lot of other people you're helping. Your mother's the doesn't need to be a, a pest. I'd be happy to show you how to update it. <laughs> I'm not sure I would remember next month if when I go to update it again. <laughs> well, I think... I think one of the differences also is in the way you present information, right? Like there is a, a good way and maybe a not so great way to present it and a, hey, we're on the same team. We're working on this together. I just want you to see what's here. And I'm not saying this is you. I'm saying I see no. this a lot in my clients. So there's that way or there is a demeaning way of, well, look, this is what it is and... How the heck did we get here? I can't believe it, right? Like a lot of blaming and name calling. And so there is definitely an art to presenting information. There is. Um, and one of the fun things, probably one of my favorite parts of my job, is I get to be that mediator that gets to present the information. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes it's helpful to have a third person there to help both people understand what is where. Um, and maybe the role that they are each playing in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you find this situation particularly with helping your spouse get through, you know, some derailments or challenges, it could be time to reach out to a financial professional. There is absolutely nothing wrong with reaching out to a counselor for help. No. Mm -mm. In any situation. And that's something that we're seeing a bigger push for right now with mental health is it's okay, it is normal to reach out for help, and that should not exclude your finances. True. Absolutely. Well, I know I learned a lot, a whole lot, in my first marriage of how I should probably have handled things differently, communicated differently, 
you know, all those things. And I have multiple times in my second marriage have gone, hmm, <laughs> I, I didn't do so hot the first time. How can I do better this time? How can I, you know, word this differently? And, you know, husband number one and husband number two are totally different people and have total different, you know, ideas, values, and standards that, you know, I need to deal with. And so it's, it's different. But I did learn a lot from my first marriage of how things should or should not be done. I think recognizing, too, that just because you see an approach on social media or from a friend on how they handled something does not mean that that is the best way for you to handle something. Uh, There are so many different underlying things within your own relationship that may or may not be in somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Um, So learn from your mistakes, right? Learn from your experiences. Learn from others, right? There's nothing wrong with having more tools in your toolbox, but tailoring it to you, right? There's a million different ways to use a hammer. You just have to figure out which way. What an example. Their side hustle, ladies and gentlemen, is construction projects. So that's the the inside joke there. But um, in all seriousness, right, a tool can be used a million different ways. And sometimes the right tool is the thing that's closest. Heard that a lot. I like the idea of evolution with everything I've been hearing and how important it is to try things out and switch it when it's not working and keep it rolling if it is yep. because that's what life is all about is trying to roll with the punches and figure out what is best for your relationship your situation your life event and if you can do that and choose your right path you're going to be fine you're going to be happy you're going to live um now you can you can upgrade and do things better you can downgrade and do things to to make sure you get by and it all depends on where you are in your situation at the time Have you had crazy life changes like a daughter that's in the hospital for how many months and you have to be there? Guess what? You have to be there. And other times when everything's rolling and you're doing just fine. So you just have to tweak. You have to roll with with how everything kind of shakes out for you. Can we talk about maybe the idea of necessary debt and unnecessary debt? And I don't mean like a house is a good use of credit where a car could be questionable, right? I mean... So another little back history is uh, my sister was born with a chronic disease and illness, um, which has followed her into her adult years. And um, after her kidney transplant, she had a daughter who was born at 27 weeks and was in the hospital for a lot of months. And you guys did not live locally. So you went out there to help her. And, you know, that's one of those things that huge curveball. Wasn't really planning on it, but you did it. So, and if I'm not mistaken, you were out of debt at that time, too. You were We rolling. were out of debt. We were out of debt at that time, yep. but we didn't have any extra income in any, not a penny. Yep. And so everything went on a credit card. Yeah. Food, everything. Hotels. Travel. Yeah. You know, at for that point in time. Yeah. As well. It was, it was off and on for several months. And we had to you know, come back home and make a choice as to, okay, well, this is our new budget. This is our new amount of money. How are we going to make all of this work? And it meant, okay, well, going out to eat is not an option. It is not. We need to eat, but going out to eat is not going to be an option. 
I'm trying to think of some other things that we, we had to change. I know at that point in time, we, you know, had quite a bit of dental stuff that had to be done that was put on a credit card. And we had car repairs that had to be put on a credit card. And there were several things that had to go on credit cards that are now finally gone. <laughs> but it's taken me four years to get there. Yeah, I think it's just, it's so big. Um, there's definitely a difference between bad consumer habits, right? Like impulse buying and having addictive shopping behaviors compared to life just threw me a curveball and I don't know what to do with it. There's things like, I used to always think because I bought it at the dollar store, it was way less than buying it at Walmart or Target or, you know, wherever. But spending $20 at Walmart is still the same as spending $20 at the dollar store. Mm. Just because I got four things at Walmart and seven things at the dollar store or $8, you know, things or whatever it was, because we all know that the dollar store is not a dollar anymore. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's still $20 that you probably did not need. Yeah. You have to decide. I know Jane was very into, she was the baby. And all of my kids did lots and lots of things, but Jane had a desire to learn more things than the others did. So we did gymnastics for a while. We did horseback riding lessons for a while. We did acting lessons for a while. We did violin lessons for a while until she felt that, mm, yeah, nope, this isn't really what I want to do. And then we would move on to something new. Are those things that I could have taken out of my budget? Yes, absolutely. They were not a need. They were a want. She didn't need to learn to play the violin. She didn't need to learn how to ride that horse. But she wanted to, and I wanted her to. So at that point in my life, I was able, we were able to sacrifice and get her those things. And quite often, her grandparents paid for them because they felt it was very important that the three younger kids that were still home when their dad and I split, they still needed to learn those things. They still needed to have them in their life. And it was important for them. And so my parents paid for a lot of the things that these kids did. And I don't know, and Jane mentioned once that she didn't realize how much they had paid. And my mother was heaven sent. She, you know, I was trying to go to school full time and raise three children. And some things just have to give. And my mother found a niche that she could come down once a week and she did laundry. She washed and folded clothes and put them away. It was a huge help for me. I don't know how I would have gotten it done. I didn't have the money to hire somebody to come in and help me or to do it at that point in my life. But it was a huge, huge benefit. Um, my mother would meet me at the gas station halfway between her house and mine to haul Jane to, you know, gymnastics or this activity or that activity while I came back down here and hauled the other two kids to all their different activities because I never could have, you know, time is money as well. And I didn't have the time or the money to be able to spend to do that. And so my mom helped me. And so for me, it's a perfectly natural thing now to meet Jane or Jake at the <laughs> same gas station to help them out. We are so grateful in for her. In the same car sometimes. <laughs> in the same car sometimes, right? Literally, it is just as heaven sent as she received, and she is giving it right to us as well. But, you know, time and money, they go hand in hand together. 
and you've got to budget and finance all of it. Nope. Yep. You've got to make the decision of what really is the most important thing and what really is the most important need. And you have to seriously look at, do I need to do this or do I want to do this? Yes, it's good for my child, but they don't need that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ways, even if you identify something as a need, to lower the cost of that need. In our profession, we call it the step-down principle. And it's where you take something that you either need or want to do, and you take one step down. So, for example, if you had someone um, who really likes to go to the movies, and you like to go to the nice, fancy dinner movie theater that has the nice, cushy seats, and you, like, order dinner from your seat, right? One step down would be going to a normal theater. And the next step down from that would be going to matinee. And from there, you would go to a dollar theater. And then from there, you would maybe do Redbox. Stream <laughs> on Netflix. Stream, stream your devices. <laughs> and another step down from that would be renting a movie from the library for free. Yeah. Right? So you find something one. that you like to do or need to do, and you find a cheaper way to do it. And um, with kids sports, I remember when I was in college, we had those cool rooms where um, there's like the two-way glass. And so we would have real-life community counseling sessions that we'd be observing. And we had this one professor. She is absolutely brilliant and had the most creative ideas. Um, and someone was talking about their kids' activities and how they felt it was really important for their kids to participate. But it was not in their budget. And she said, well, are there other ways you could do this? For example, um, could you start a community group yourself, right? So maybe um, Peyton, our three-year-old, loves ballet. Could you create a ballet class with other little girls her age? They're three. They don't need a professional teacher, right? They don't know the difference. They're going to have fun and to learn to move their bodies and to learn coordination. Um, if that's not going to work, could you... Um, become like the teen parent or help out at practices or something. So that way you work for whatever, um, you know, the monthly cost would, would be. be. Mm. Um, could you have, if the child's old enough, pay for part of their lessons, right? Teach them some work, <laughs> work ethic, um, or all of it, right? You can get creative. So that leads me into my next question, because I feel like you had all this experience um, and you wanted to teach us kids that we didn't end up in the same spot. You already mentioned earlier that when we were, you know, young, very young teenagers, you opened us up our first checking account. What are some other tips you would give parents who are trying to teach their children at various stages? Like, Peyton, what would you do with a young toddler trying to teach them about money? Oh, wow. Um, first off, get them a Tums jar. A Tums bottle. Um, Tums bottles are fast. <laughs> My dad and mom were Tums eaters, and they would always, as they emptied a Tums jar, they would clean it out and write one of the grandchildren's names on it, and they would do jobs for them, and they could put their money in those that jar, in that Tums container. And I think a good chunk of the kids still have their Tums jar. Huh. It helps them, you know, you can pay them, but when I was a kid, I got paid 
a nickel for ironing a pillowcase. When my children were the same <laughs> age, well, when the older children were the same age, they got paid, I think, a quarter for ironing, ironing the same said pillowcase. It might have been a dime, and then Jane got a quarter. I can remember my sweet father one time, and I don't even remember. It has to have been Kara, the oldest. She was wiggling a tooth, and my dad told her he would give her a $20 bill if she would stop wiggling that tooth in front of him. <laughs> and so instead of getting a dollar when the tooth came out from the tooth fairy, she got $20 from Grandpa, so she didn't have to put it under her pillow. For the tooth fairy, she could get more money from Grandpa. So, grandparents, don't screw up your children <laughs> or your grandchildren for their kids, for your, your own children. One thing I do have to say, though, one of my favorite memories growing up is on Sunday. So, uh, my grandma was a member of the church. My grandpa wasn't, and he owned his own company. So, on Sundays, when we would stay at Grandma and Grandpa's house... We would have to choose if we were going to church with Grandma, which meant going to sacrament meeting, being quiet, and then after the sacrament, you finally got to pull your books out, but then you still had to go to two more hours of classes, or you could go to Grandpa's church. And Grandpa's church was way more fun than Grandma's church, and no, it was not actual church, okay? In the morning, we would go get breakfast, and then you would go to his office, and while he worked, he had a little change box in his bottom drawer of his desk that had random change and random bills. And so you would sit there and just count the change all morning while he was working. Sometimes he would ask you how much you thought was there, and if you were correct within a certain range, you got to keep it. Or he would have his, like, wad of dollar bills, and if you guessed the right number, then you got to keep it. So he did do good. I learned how to count my money. <laughs> but it's you, you have to teach them the value of money, and it's okay to tell them no. Jane's oldest sister, when she was eight and nine, she didn't like the pants that I was willing to spend my money on. She wanted Rocky Mountain jeans. Oh, I thought and they, they were apple were... bottom jeans. No, no. With the fur. <clears throat> <laughs> they were Rocky Mountain jeans, and they were like $40 a pair 30 years ago. I don't know what they are now. And so she worked for Grandma and Grandpa to earn money to be able to get the jeans she liked. And then a few years later after that, in her early teens, she was quite the musician, or still is quite the musician, and... So she started teaching music lessons to be able to pay for her Rocky Mountain jeans that she so desperately needed to have. And then when she got her first car, she taught more music lessons to pay for her car, her car payment and her insurance. Because this, I'm a mean mom and we didn't do it. We didn't buy the cars. We didn't buy the, we didn't do the insurance. You know, we didn't do the cell phone. They paid for it all because I'm the mean mom, and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be the mean mom, and it's okay to be the mean grandma, because the mean mom is teaching her children, and the mean grandma is not making her children's life more miserable. I think that's an important thing, is talking about teenagers, too, and how you draw that line. I remember one time in high school, I had, I don't think he was quite my boyfriend yet, I don't know, I had this romantic interest, this crush, and he wanted me to come over, and I didn't have gas, and I didn't have money for my gas oh my either. Oh, my gosh. And so I told him that, I don't remember. I think I told him I was busy or I couldn't go or my mom said no or, like, some dumb excuse because I obviously 
could not tell him I didn't have the money for gas. Um, Awkward. But yeah, you you did cave. I had to buy my own gas. (laughs) You know, it's okay to miss out on some of those teenage experiences and not bail your kids out. How else are they going to learn to budget that money and make a plan and plan ahead? You know, there isn't going to be everything there for them all their lives. You can't always bail them out of everything. You have to teach them somewhere, and better to teach them in your home before they get out on their own and have no clue what they're doing. That's when they crash and burn, and then they learn from that crash and burn, and you're not letting them get that, which is really smart. Very smart. So there's a lot of different takeaways, I guess. Um, Is One, your life is never going to stay the same, and just because you assume I'm debt-free or... I'm in debt doesn't mean you're always going to be that way. Right. Life is up and down and you have no idea what's going to come at you. The second thing is you're going to learn as you go through this and it's okay to learn and it's okay to make mistakes. And it's okay to lean on others for that help and sometimes that tough love and sometimes that genuine generous love. Like there's Mm -hmm. both that kind of coincide with, with your story and with everyone's story. It really does take a village to raise your kids, yes. um, and it takes a very good support network to get through the hard times. You need it. Um, Jake was just doing a research project for school that... Still um, doing it. He's By the time this is done, that will be done. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, but it's for a marriage and family class, and he picked or was assigned, I don't know, um, finances and family. And one of the research articles was... Um, studying couples just after the recession and they wanted to see if the stress from the recession uh, the financial stress increased marital satisfaction and what they call it warmth or something um, or if it did the opposite and it was very interesting that most of the couples they worked with in this research study actually grew from the recession and the reasons they grew is because they had good established marital maintenance habits, meaning they still went on dates, they still had intimate conversations with each other, um, they still put their family first, right, those good marital habits, um, and they had strong support networks with friends and family or coworkers, whatever that looked like. Mm -hmm. Those are the couples that made it through the recession better and bigger, maybe not financially bigger, but themselves bigger than those who didn't absolutely so that is absolutely huge in building that network in that community and then the other thing yeah you might do something dumb you might screw your kids lives over just kidding you're not gonna do that but (laughs) (laughs) wait whose life just got screwed over are we screwing peyton's life over (laughs) i made her play pay for her own play-doh okay yes i'm the mean mom (laughs) Give me your uh, 50 cents, kid. There's there's a lot of things you can teach your kids, and you may not always get it right, or the way that you think you want it. Um, I know a lot of parents that want to pay for their kids' college. But you're right. I learned a lot more from my college experience and work ethic and living very frugally compared to maybe some of my other um, peers, which being in the finance degree, we were all pretty frugal. But, you know, my other college peers... Um, maybe had a different experience than I did. And now it's put us in a place where even though we're both working, when we start talking about, okay, could we live off of one income? 
Um, could we live off of our lower income? We always compare, well, in college, <laughs> we could live off of this. And this is what we did to make yeah. it work. Um, and we so it gave nothing. us... <laughs> literally nothing. <laughs> um, but it gave us better wisdom moving forward yeah. um, mm-hmm. to maybe open up opportunities for the future. I think this was a lovely time, very insightful, and I learned that it's it's a journey, it's a process. You you try your best and you do what you can and it's going to work out. Like we have support systems, we have a loving family and extended family. Um and as you have the the support of those people, and even if you don't, if if you can lean on those few people that you trust and and understand, um, that they're going to be there for you, you're going to make it through too. Um, but it's making sure that you're you're choosing what's important and choosing what matters to you. Sweet. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome, baby. <laughs> we only had a few tears, so that was good. My mom's a crier. I expected multiple. It was, yeah. She, she did a great job. Yes, I'm a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow along on Instagram um, I am there just sharing all of life's woes and financial tips at Miss Jane Larson. And we would love to connect with you. Yes. We'll see you soon. Give us a like.